Hi, this is Anika Malik here. As part of our ongoing Hijriz stories or migration journeys that I keep sharing with you, I'm here with yet yet another very inspiring story, which to me is not just an inspirational story. It's also a story a very positive migration story. Where our today's guest, Dr. Iqbal, who migrated from Pakistan to the UK, is now leading for decades as a consultant neuroautologist in uh, NHS. Dr. Muhammad Iqbal, who came from Pakistan as a student to seek education, made a life for himself. And not just for himself, he has been relentlessly and tirelessly working for the needy people, especially where Thus, it was his way of paying back his country of birth that he set up a charity association of Pakistani physicians and surgeons, also known as APPS. And through APPS, they have, together with other doctors in the UK, they have delivered many projects in Pakistan and helped a lot of needy patients and people training the doctors there and also bridging the gap between UK and Pakistan. He's also listed among 100 influential Pakistanis in the UK. It was a real honor and joy for me to have a very open and frank discussion with Dr. Iqbal. And I must thank him for taking all my questions with an open heart and smile. It must be the liberty that I enjoy of being called his friend for over a decade now. And I do hope that, that our audience will, will also find this very informational. To me, it's a symbolic story of inclusion and integration, where Dr. Iqbal has fully embedded himself in the society and has been serving the society for years now, and also considers this as his own country and home. So let's hear it from Dr. Muhammad Iqbal. Hello and welcome, Dr. Iqbal. Uh, thank you very much, Anika, for inviting me to this podcast. You are more than welcome. I'm honored to have you here, considering you are such a busy person. Most grateful. Thank you. So shall we start with your introduction? I know it's the most difficult bit, how to contain you within one definition, because I understand uh, you do a lot of community work and other activities. So maybe just let my audience know that who Dr. Iqbal is. Anika, I am a consultant neuroautologist, and I lead the Dizziness and Balance Clinic for Northwest of England, which is a tertiary clinic for complex patients. So this is my professional background. Uh, apart from uh, this professional background, I'm a father of three children uh, and a lovely wife uh, at home as well. Um, my rest, rest of my work is uh, charitable based. I was the chair of uh, Association of Pakistani Physicians and Surgeons of UK from, from 2012 to 2014. And then I founded a charity called Association of Pakistani Physicians and Surgeons of UK Foundation, which is a 0% admin charity and has done enormous work in the last three years. Hmm. 
I also support a number of charities because I believe that every good work must be supported. Yes. Um, and uh, I have received so far 18 excellence awards, which includes lifetime humanitarian award. And also um, I was included among 100 influential and 100, influence, uh, 100 influential Pakistanis and Muslims in the UK. Amazing. See, I, I knew it. <laughs> it won't be just Dr. Iqbal. Uh, what an amazing uh, um, portfolio and profile you have, mashallah. Uh, that's great. So moving on, I mean, what I would like to talk with you primarily, as I can understand, is about the charitable concept as well. But before we do that, um, there's a little interruption. <laughs> so uh, before we do that, because these podcasts are framed around migration, uh, migration stories, personal migration stories, and also the concept of migration or hijrat, as you understand. So maybe please uh, share with us, how do you understand this concept? I mean, what is your experience, your own life experience? How uh, migrating to UK changed you or evolved you? Um, whatever. So over to yes. you. Yes, Anika, uh, I understand that uh, migration means that leaving your home for any good reason, mm. uh, which can be protection, which can be better life, or anything you can think of which is going to be helpful to either yourself or to mm. your family, um, basically. Um, now, my life, um, if I can go back in time to my childhood, I was born in a very poor family. The, um, the situation was such that uh, we used to live in a studio flat, uh, six brothers and five brothers and sisters, in, including me, six, oh. parents. Now you can imagine that nine people in one room and the kitchen and bathroom were also part of that room. So it was a very difficult uh, life, but we were happy. I wouldn't oh. say that, that there was an intention at that stage to leave home for somewhere else. But that was the childhood. Mm. The situation was such that uh, mother used to have a ball and there, there used to be one piece of meat and we used to keep our eyes down, uh, look down, so that mother doesn't see our face. Uh, and one of the child will get that little piece of meat. And that's, that's how the childhood evolved, but it became better eventually, little better. And I used to give tuition to medical stu students when I was in a medical school oh, and collected some amount uh, with difficulty. I was a good student. I was a gold medalist, silver medalist. So I had, good. <laughs> yeah, I had all intention to go to either US or to UK. I did pass my ECFMG exam uh, for America, uh, but I didn't like going to America because my uh, some of my family members were in, in the UK uh, due to migration from, um, from East Africa to UK. So I decided to come to the United Kingdom. I landed with a hole in my shoe. It was very free. It was freezing cold, temp and, um, ice everywhere in November 1983. It was, uh, you know, it was something which I, I was unable to tolerate that kind of weather. And with the hope of my shoe, you can imagine that what would be my condition. But uh, Alhamdulillah, uh, the librarian at Nelson Library was very kind to me. She used to give me the, she used to reserve a place for me, um, very near to a radiator, so that this boy should not feel cold. You know, I must appreciate her kindness. And then after uh, work exams were passed and work started, and I worked very hard to achieve this status. Wow, 
amazing. This is so beautiful. Thank you for sharing this with us because this is such an inspirational story as well uh, for the younger generation to understand where their uh, forefathers came from, ancestors, and their struggles were real. Uh, because nowadays, I'm not saying that people are not in this situation, and some might be, but uh, the, you know, the idea of uh, poverty has changed a little. Like, you know, the, what you and I have seen, although I would say that we were not nine brothers and sisters and it wasn't like this, but still now, uh, you know, the concept of poverty has changed, but yes. let's spark it for now. So just continue with your story. So you came here for it to continue your education, right? Yes, I wanted to be an ENT surgeon and that was the reason to come here and pursue further education with clinical experience with jobs. Hmm. And uh, I started at Whips Cross Hospital London first, but I didn't like London actually. It was too busy, busy place for me. I'm, I like little quiet places. So I went to Ashford Kent, then I'm, you know, the doctors have to change job every six months. Then I went to uh, North Devon, a beautiful mm. place, Barnstaple. And then um, it was uh, Sunderland, Blackpool, uh, Scotland. Wow. Um, and then Olmskirk. And then finally I came to Manchester. And settled here. Wow. Settled here. Yes. Wow. This is very nice. Okay, so I'm going to ask you some deep questions because I know that you can, I, I know my guest can handle this um, because it is for my own understanding as well, as you would know that this is part of a research project as well as I'm thinking about maybe compiling a book or you know starting a journal or something. Uh, so these stories and these, this conversation shouldn't go amiss because uh, what I'm trying to understand now is that you know that Pakistan, Pakistan has world's sixth largest diaspora outside of Pakistan. Um, so when you said you had to travel and migrate uh, for education, I understand one should just travel wherever. Uh, as is the hadith that you can, you know, travel up to China if you have to seek knowledge. Yes. But you do understand that it's a trend as well, especially in South Asian countries and especially in Pakistan as well. We always think about going to the UK or the US to, you know, for higher education. And most of uh, those students or people, they never return back home. Um, what do you say to this? Why is this trend? You see, uh, Anika, there are two fundamental reasons for this kind of um, non-returning phenomena. One is uh, that once we uh, start living in a Western country, we get used to its uh, customs, to its lifestyle, and then it becomes difficult for us to return. And second reason is this, that once we have got children who are going to primary school or secondary school, we are bound by them rather than our own intention. So, so there are multiple reasons, not one reason for this. Yeah, no, that I understand and which makes sense as well. What I was trying to understand is that we used to be a, a British colony, right? And then we decided to become an independent country and we are, alhamdulillah. But then what happens is almost everybody in Pakistan, you know how desperate people are to get out of Pakistan. Almost yes. everybody wants to leave the country now and whoever can, they just leave. They yes. leave the country. So I'm just trying to maybe understand myself and I'm asking you so we can maybe share or you can maybe guide me. Why? What is this phenomenon that we do have a country and almost every person I speak to, they want to leave the country. Uh, I think, yeah. You know, you're right. I th yeah, this, is a, this is something which is seen very commonly. Uh, I, and in my view, you see, 
for example let's say a doctor who is a consultant in pakistan the earning is very good but hmm. still they are not happy and the reason why they are not happy is the law and order safety situation and the general stress level in that country if you compare the general stress level between pakistan and uk you will find that uh, there is a tremendous tremendous difference general we am just talking about general stress level general anxiety level and hmm. if you look at uh, if you look at um, the law and order and safety i mean no country is immune to crime and safety problem but if you will find that still uh, in the united kingdom there is a law and order and things work according to a system now hmm. there are other reasons also people think that okay if i leave pakistan and move to united kingdom or to america my children will have better education one and secondly if you see the doctors who are working there they are working 9 to 1 or 9 to 3 in the government hospitals but then they are working from 4 pm onwards until midnight and sometime i've heard even 1 am in their private clinic can you imagine the stress level of that person who has left the house at 7 am reaching to his or her place of work at 8 finishing at 3 o'clock or 1 o'clock and then starting from 4 to midnight when the children and wife are already in bed that hmm. person is like a zombie right yes. now yes. financially we are driven to that extent uh, more in pakistan and some are even driven in this country as well so i'm not saying that this doesn't happen over here but it hmm. happens much less you know a fraction hmm Mm. But I appreciate what you are saying because I understand there's a need we have less doctors but that exactly is my question then how is leaving your country helping the country right if we all think about that uh don't you think then the question of loyalty also comes that how loyal are we to our country i mean i myself live here so i can't say this i'm just you know putting this out there um No, I, i agree yes i agree i feel guilty myself it's not that i don't feel guilty and I, if i can feel guilty then i'm sure many doctors who live in this country in the united kingdom feel guilty as well and that is why we would like to do something for pakistan we would like to return um our debt in some ways that we can say okay we have not been back to pakistan but let's do something good for pakistan let's look at the educational structure of that country and provide the uh, voluntary help let's look at the uh, health structure and provide help let's look at the social structure and provide help and this is what i do through my through my charitable work and yeah, really do sorry i wasn't i wasn't criticizing you no, or no, 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 those no. who are here i'm saying no. those who want to leave now after being doctors or serving there that was my question for them no alika but i am the i am the i am one of them so if the if uh, this question is asked then i have to think what is going to be my answer and i'm sure that <laughs> their answer is going to be more or less the same thank you i appreciate thank you for taking this um, you know challenge from me as well and responding very positively uh, but i do appreciate that even um, i can't compare myself to you but the work you've done for pakistan and most of uh, the doctors in apps uh, and other charities is phenomenal and you know the help pakistanis the diaspora the uh, experts have been giving to pakistan or back home is much much appreciated because you know i think pakistan survives on this and has survived on this for all the help the remittances that we keep sending back so it's a huge part of our national yes. um, pride and culture as well absolutely anika you know the sorry yes anika please continue so but then again it should be a two way thing right uh what is the diaspora getting out of pakistan is also a question that people often are now asking more than ever because you know after giving so much time and you know out of the love for their own country 
Now they are also asking, you know, how are we being loved or sort of compensated in any way? Uh, some have lost a lot of money in Pakistan because they thought, oh, I'm going to do business in Pakistan. That's my country. And you know the story. Um, so now I, I hear a lot of people saying, why do I do it for Pakistan? What is Pakistan giving me back? Do you think the same way? No, I don't actually. Uh, my, my view is a little different. And this is my view. Maybe mm. it's not the view of the uh, public or in, in majority of the people. I don't, I, I don't know. But my view is this, that what is important is what I give to Pakistan. Mm. What Pakistan gives back to me is not important for me. I'm like a gardener who is going to plant a seed. Mm. And the flowers and the fruits will come. It is not important for me to see the flowers and fruits. It may be see, it will be seen by generations to come. But, it, but they will be seen. But somebody is going to enjoy those flowers and fruits. So, so for me, it's, it's important that what can I do for Pakistan? And I and I, I care least what Pakistan can do for me because because I'm happy in my life, I'm getting all the joys of because of my hard work, and with the blessing of Lord, and and when I go to Pakistan, I enjoy my life over there. I enjoy my holidays along with the medical charitable charitable work I offer during my holidays over there. But in the evening, I go to nice restaurants. I meet family friends. I meet you know, wonderful people over there who are, who are extremely nice to me. You know, the Pakistani people are the most <laughs> humble and hospitable, you know, they, they, are, yes. they, are, they are wonderful people. They invite you to, your, to their house. They, they mm. offer you fruits. You know, they like to have a selfie with me. I enjoy everything. They are giving <laughs> me the best of my time. What can yes. I ask? For? What else I can ask for? I of can't course. think of anything else. Beautiful. This is such a beautiful thing you've said. Um, of course, not everybody thinks like this, which actually brings us to the question that, um, yes, you've served the country, even being outside of Pakistan, uh, but what about the local community then? Uh, what do you have to say about that? Because now also this talk about, yes, we have sent a lot of money back home or done, you know, given charity, but we have neglect, neglected our local community as well. Uh, and our local community needs us more than ever. Uh, I also hear that. So your comments, please. You see, one of the problem which uh, Southeast Asian countries have uh, suffered is um, that there has been a lot of regional conflicts and there have been a lot of corrupt politicians. And unfortunately, when the politicians are corrupt, uh, this seeps into the government and then the government officials and then the whole system becomes corrupt. And this is why there is no uh, safety factor for people to invest or people to transfer money, to buy land, to buy houses. And if you ask me, it's not the government which has done the corruption. Those people from Kashmir who used to send money to their brothers and sisters, they found later that the money was used to buy the house, but not in their name, but in the name of their brothers and sisters hmm. who refused to give the money or the land or the house back to them. Now, you see, we do things uh, not in a proper way. For example, if you want to buy something, we don't go through the bank route, money transfer, buy the land, buy the house, put in our name, put it through a proper estate agent for, for renting. We use our own traditional methods. And these traditional methods sometimes backfire. So hmm. we have to be very careful how we invest. We must invest, but through a proper channel. There are, there are you know, if you go to Pakistani High Commission or to Pakistani Consulate, they have got the names of all the industrialists waiting to hear from us. Uh, I know some people are going to be, uh, some people are going to abuse the system. Anyway, in this country, you remember the big VAT fraud which yes. uh, British people did? Hmm. It happens in every country. No every country, country is immune. 
no yes. countries immune. So putting a finger to say that Pakistani people or Pakistani government or Pakistani industrialists are corrupt is not the right way of saying things mm. uh, in proper order. There are foreign investment firms which are investing in Pakistan as well, and they are making money over there because mm. the percentage of profit in Pakistan is much higher than anywhere else. Mm. Mm. I would say to the local community that, look, you know, um, you can say many things about Pakistan, but remember your forefathers were born there. They came mm. here, they achieved the position to bring, to, to, to up, to, to have you, um, have your birth in this country, to have your education in this country, to make you what you are today in this country. So be thankful, be grateful, and, and, and do something, whatever you want to do, if you can. Hmm. Uh, right, but you haven't answered my question about local communities, as in building our local communities, which of course includes the Pakistani diaspora community as well because you do know that we are behind on so many levels. Um, so do you think it's time for us to now pay attention locally? And is it justified then when people say, uh, why send money to Pakistan? We need it here as well. What's your view on that, please? You see, local community, first of all, I don't believe in the mosques. I believe in community centers. Mm -hmm. The reason is that the mosque is like a Tesco space being used for two hours out of 24 hours, which is not yes. good. Yes. The community center means that a same space being used for 12 hours. So it is most cost efficient way of providing help. Second, it will bring leadership and development of our children. It will give, the, it will give a place for, for activities for our women. It will give women empowerment. And it will also help us to look at the local problems, local causes, local uh, conflicts, and be part of that to solve those issues uh, yeah. with the wider community. And also, uh, the people have to understand the system that they can't go traditionally by sending money through one person or through one, you know, handi, hawala, and things like that. Yeah. Uh, they have to go through a proper banking system. And, and they have to invest in Pakistan if possible, you know, if they feel like investing. Yes, why not? Mm. Okay, so uh, the next question would be that I know and the world knows for a fact that many Pakistani uh, doctors have been in the leading role in, within the NHS and there's a lot of service from Pakistani doctors men and women as well. Um, so I would really like you to share something as in how you've made your own mark as a Pakistani, British Pakistani doctor. I know there is like a blanket sort of um, uh, organizational culture within NHS or any organization, there is a culture. But how have you as a person coming from Pakistan, having those values and culture and heritage, how did you make your mark? Or is there anything you would like to share with us that distinguishes you from another nationality, say, for example? It would be interesting for the young people to hear as well. See, uh, I think uh, every um, medical healthcare worker uh, finds that their duty is um, foremost for the patient. Mm. The patient always comes first. And we also know that no harm should be done, which means that if you, if you think that there is any possibility of harm, then you don't uh, provide that uh, therapy, facility, or treatment. So this is the basic core principle for everyone. And being a part of a medical healthcare workers in this country, I follow these rules as well. Mm. Uh, second thing is second. Second thing is is that uh, we do understand there is a racism which is 
uh, within the roots of many institution and NHS is not immune to this problem. And we do find that the black and ethnic minority doctors are not given proper promotions and excellence awards and, um, and their developmental aspect is not looked after as much as uh, others. There are two, there, are, there, there is a reason for this that, you know, our pres the doctors who come from Pakistan, they do not have that kind of presentation skills, which is taught in this country to uh, medical students uh, of British universities. And I'm not saying um, Pakistani, Indian or anyone else, to the British medical students. So the, the presentation skills does vary, but the clinical experience, the clinical knowledge is same. And if you ask me, sometimes I give, I get this impression that those who come from overseas, they have much higher clinical knowledge and experience. The reason is that these doctors have to work very hard to pass the lab exam mm. or FCPS or FRCS, sorry, FRCS or MRCP part one exam where the passing percentage is 10 to 20%, which mm. means that if 100 doctors will sit, only 10 or 20 will pass the exam. Now you can imagine the best brains of the world are gathering in this country or in the overseas center to take the exam and only 20, the best of the best, you can say that if there was a sentence like this, will mm. pass the exam. So they are very, uh, they are really at the top notch in, the, in case of knowledge as concerned and they are, their experience is also much better because they see much more number of patients um, in, while they are living in their respective countries. So when they come, they do find presentation skills is not good. Um, they do find that uh, they're, they are not treated equally. Uh, and this is what I am being informed. I was lucky that when I, was, uh, when I applied for the senior registrar position, I rang uh, Manchester Royal Infirmary and I luckily got in touch with Dr. Das. And he said, Mohammed, why don't you come and see me two hours before the interview? I, I'm, I'm very much interested to find out what you would like to know and answer you. Mm. And I said, yes. And I went and you know, this man was so helpful for me and others who applied for the post to explain to them taking his precious time and, and I felt very happy with him and I got the job. Um, there were a few other candidates, but luckily uh, I got the job on the basis of merit because there were quite few people, uh, including Professor Valerie Newton to interview the candidates. I, there, there, are, there, are, you know, there are a few times where when I felt that I have not I, I am not being treated equally, but you know, I would let it go. I would say that just forget it. If, uh, if I work hard, I'm sure I'm going to get that status. And I, I got that status. I lead tertiary complex patient clinic for Northwest of England, which is, uh, I would say that one of the honor for anyone to do so. Of course, well, it's an honor for us as well, sir. Uh, that's fine. I'm going to reframe my question. So I'm going to ask you, this is all you've learned from NHS. So what has NHS learned from Mohammed Iqbal? It's a two-way learning because uh, NHS is dependent upon the feedback from patients and from its workers. No, no, no. So, I'm talking about your uh, particular cultural or the values you have as a uh, as a Pakistani or a Muslim, say for example, those, you know, the cultural values, there is yes. any one such value that say, for example, your colleagues have learned from you while working with them. That's what I'm interested in knowing. Yes, Anika, I think um, 
um, working in the NHS has got its advantage that this is the single most employer, and I would say the best employer in the country from, from this cultural aspect that it takes, the, it takes uh, all cultures and religion into consideration. Hmm. So, so we have got the flexibility of uh, holidays on our big days. We have got the flexibility of holidays during Ramadan. And similarly, this facility has been spread to others as well, equally. Hmm. Now, uh, it is important for me as a Pakistani, um, British Pakistani, to make sure that I do convey what is important and why it is important to involve the uh, British Pakistanis and how we can, how best we can do this. And I'm sure that my British Indians and uh, other friends are also doing the same. And this is, this is giving a awareness of the culture of different people. And now let me give you one example. Mm-hmm. When I am sitting in my clinic, when a Jewish family comes, I say Shalom. Mm. And instantly there is a bonding. And when a mm. Hindu family comes, I say Namaste. Mm. You know, when, when the Caucasian family comes, I say good morning or afternoon. You know, but you say you see that there is an instant bonding. And when I have to say thank you, I have to say like uh, in mm. for Jewish family and then and or you know for, for a Hindu family. You know, these are two words. It may be just uh, nothing for anyone, but it bonds me with that family. Yes, of course. And right. you're also respecting the other culture as well. Absolutely. So, One of, yeah. the, the most cards which I get on my birthday are from the Jewish community. Because oh, they wow. think that I am a Jewish Muslim. You know, just in a joke, they say sometimes, yeah. you know, Dr. Iqbal, Muhammad Iqbal, you are a Jewish Muslim. So yeah. it's an honor for me to hear this. Of course, you've set the, a good example. Yeah. yeah, this is their love. This is their kindness. This is their care for me. And it goes both ways. If I give the same to them, then they will feel exactly uh, what I'm trying to convey and they will reflect. That's very beautiful. Thank you for sharing this. So maybe a couple of more questions uh, because I'm sure you must be busy or working as you always do. So I don't (laughs) want to take a lot of your time. (laughs) So one question would be, So you um, are part of many charitable organizations. You've started many and you constantly day and night. I mean, I'm living testimony to that, that you constantly work on these um, charitable causes and you give a lot of charity. You initiate a lot of projects. So from your point of view, I would like to understand the concept of giving. I mean, I understand from the Muslim or Islamic perspective, I think we all do and other religions as well, they give charity. Yes. But is there any particular thing that you would like to add that why do you do just charity only, given the fact that if we believe that if Pakistan or any country or any community has to survive, they have to be self-sustained and self-sufficient rather than just relying on charities. I just want to hear your perspective. Thank yes. you. Yes. Anika, in the ideal world, you're right that uh, everyone should be self-sufficient. Everyone should be, um, should be earning when it is possible. And I, and I don't deny that sometimes it is not possible. Uh, for some people due to mental health issues or due to physical disabilities. But most, but excluding those groups, you know, most of them should be earning, the employment should be available to everyone and they should be earning and they should have their integrity, you know, uh, that they are capable of working, but they are unable to find the work. But we find that ideal world doesn't exist. And in this non-ideal world, we will find that there are many people who will not be able to find a job or who will run into difficulties for one or the other reason. Now, and these are, and these are the people uh, who will need help um, as well. And I say this because I also include those people who, are, who have got mental and physical disabilities. Now, someone 
has to come forward and say, look, don't worry, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. And this is the help. And this is the help. Honestly, just hearing the words, I'm here for you, are peace to the mind which is uh, worrying about future for themselves or their children. Hmm. Not having food in, at home is, 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 a, is a big issue. You know, how are you going to survive? Now, we don't do things only for Pakistan. It must hmm. be reassured to the audience that we run Homeless Sadka International. Homeless, hmm. homeless people, but not necessarily homeless. Those who are in difficulties as well. Sadka is a form of charity in Islam, but this is not only a um, Muslim charity. We get donation from non-Muslims as well. And international because it is spread in few countries, which are Pakistan, India, Palestine, Iraq, and Syria as well. Mm-hmm. Now we are open to having offer from other countries and we are quite happy to be involved over there as well. We provide cooked food to 1,300 people every month 650 are in Manchester, and I can tell you that 99%, 99.99% are non-Muslims. So you can imagine that we, we are beyond these religious boundaries when it comes to sharing good things with other people. And as well as uh, we, we run leadership course, we run I want to be a medic course, where people can, ha- where children can get experience of personal statement, interview techniques to, to become doctors. And we do uh, other good work for uh, all com- community members, which include Muslims and non-Muslims. Hmm. Now, going back to your question, you know, um, um, just remind me what was your question now, please. Um, no, you have given the definition because I only ask you as when I speak to my uh, non-Muslim or, you know, friends who are secular or not Pakistani, yeah. um, the question of especially the, the ones who are in the financial and econ- economics domain, they, they tell me that what we call sadaka uh, yeah. money. They tell me that uh, to them, it's like guilt money that you are giving because you're earning more and you want a reward. It's like a barter you're doing with your creator. And I try to justify that it's not because, you know, it it is solidarity or as Dr. Amjad Sakhik very nicely put it that, you know, I am because you are, we have to help each other. So yes. that was my reason of asking you that why charity? You, why do we do all this charitable work? And because you are a champion in this, I thought, you know, a new definition maybe from you would be nice. Yes, uh, Anika, there are two things I would like to add. I know, hmm. as you said, Sadka. Uh, the Sadka comes stems from the fact that Prophet Muhammad uh, said there are 17 forms of Sadka, which means charity. And the first form is Removing a stone which can be an obstruction on the pathway of a passerby. Hmm. Now, you can imagine that he didn't say remove the stone only for Muslim pathways. He said mm-hmm. removing the stone from a pathway which can, be a, which can cause harm or obstruction to somebody. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. So if you, if you look at the first form of Sadhka, it tells us that it is not only to be used or to be given. And the second sadka is to smile at someone. Hmm. Say someone. He didn't say to Muslims. Yeah. Now, I, I remember one uh, story of Prophet. If you want me to share, I can share. If you, if you don't have please. the time, then we can move no, on. Please no, no, please do. No, no. There was a friend of Prophet and he used to come to, and he came to Prophet and said, Prophet, there is a lady who is very nice to people, but she doesn't pray. Do you think she will go to Jannah? Heaven. Prophet said, yes. Those who are nice to people will go to heaven. And then he came and then he said, there is a, but there is a lady prophet who is uh, very pious, very religious, prays five times a day, but she is not nice to people. Will she go to heaven? Prophet no. said, most likely not. Now, uh, you can see that Prophet didn't say that nice to Muslims. 
Prophet said, nice to people. The reason is this, that the Lord himself says, I am the blessing for everyone in this universe. He didn't say I'm the blessing for Muslims. So we have to understand that Islam does not teach us to be nice to Muslims. It, 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 the teaching is to be nice to everyone. Mm. And that is the real charity. Of course, this is so beautiful. And uh, yeah, and the concept is not just to give money as well. Giving your time, as you said, even smiling is a sadaka or, you know, an act of charity. It's just yeah. an act of giving out of love for humanity, as I see it. Um, oh, yes. Absolutely. Yes. We are running Help the Elderly. Now we are getting 15, 17 calls every day. We have got a proper, uh, properly structured group. So whenever the call comes, oh, this elderly is in isolation, can't go and doesn't have the money. So we send the food without any cost to them. We send one week of supply um, to them without any cost until the next call comes from them. Sometimes the call comes, oh, I can pay, but I have no ability to go out and buy the food because I'm an elderly, 75-year-old, 80-year-old. We send the food and ask them to put the envelope outside with the money. Then we get the call, oh, I'm, I need medicine, but I am unable to go out. We send the medicine to them from the, their pharmacist. So there are many things which we do and and the people who call us from all sects of this community. It's not for Muslim. If you need help, just call me. You can get my number from my Facebook, my WhatsApp groups, hmm. wherever you want. But don't suffer in silence. I know you are very Asian approachable. Association of Pakistani Physicians and Surgeons of UK Foundation is here right with you, shoulder to shoulder to make a difference. Wow, this is amazing. And I know for a fact you are very approachable and you are constantly there for people. So may Allah bless you. This is such an honor to have people like you around us as role models, living examples. Which brings me to the question that um, you've achieved a lot, as in professionally in the world, and also spiritually by, you know, helping communities, individuals. So do you, would you say, uh, as I'm sure youngsters would also be listening to this, would you say you feel like you're, you have accomplished everything and uh, you have achieved everything or something? How do you feel about yourself? Like, is there contentment or is there more to be achieved? If yes, what is that? So that would be our last question, maybe. Thank uh, you. Anika, whenever I talk to anyone, I learn something new. I learn their perspective, their ideas, their vision. What else can be done? How things can be done in a better way? How reform can be brought in? You know, there are more you speak to more you know more you learn i don't think that i um i'm satisfied with what i have done i think there is a need for more to be done and for that we need inspiration we need leadership we need uh, to invite our uh, younger generation from all communities to come forward and work together in harmony and 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 be good friends and this is why i do a course called Lives But Not Knives. And this mm. is what I teach that in this world, if you really want to achieve something, you have to preserve life. And that can only be done with friendship, with uh, communication, uh, without any conflict, if possible, and, um, and working together. So we all communities have to work together to learn from each other about the good things which are happening around us. And this... Uh, terrible incidents has given us an opportunity to be more uh, closely knitted families, closely mm. knitted communities, and, and, and understand that the world is fighting together against coronavirus. Mm. The community is not fighting against community. The, mm. the country is not fighting against the country. But yes. the world is fighting 
against the coronavirus. And that is the best thing we have learned from this terrible, unprecedented incidence. You are right. We, I think we are more united than ever, or maybe we are now connected through each other's sufferings as well. Yes. Because it's not just those who are dying or infected, it's also those who are so panic-stricken and so fearful. So there are those people who are telling them, giving them positive, uh, you know, uplifting news and keeping them cheerful. So we are sort of more united. Yes. Um, Thank you very much. This was very inspiring. This is very inspiring. So Thank before you. I finish, uh, one last thing. Urdu me ab puchti hoon. Kya khoya? Kya khoya? Or kya paya? Hijrat ke baad. Ji paya to bhot maine. Main samajta hoon ke ek achhi zindagi paayi, ek achha ghar paaya, ek achhi family paayi, ek achha job mila. एक अच्छी कम्युनिटी मिली अच्छे लोग मिले अच्छा मुल्क मिला अच्छा सिस्टम मिला और बहुत कुछ पाया और खोया क्या मैं समझता हूं कि ये एक नेगलिजिबल या एक छोटी सी बात है जिसका मुझे अफसोस ही कुछ नहीं है कि क्या खोया इतना पा लिया कि खोने का एहसास ही नहीं है कि क्या खोया और, और शुक्र और शुक्र उस वक्त होता है जब इंसान शुक्र करता है पाने पर खोने पर तो اللہ سے انسان کبھی کبھار دل ملا لیتا ہے اللہ سے بات کر لیتا ہے کہ اللہ میاں اس میں میری مدد کرنا اور جب اللہ مدد کرتا ہے تو آپ دیکھیے جو جو بھی دن آتے ہیں وہ ویوز میں آتے ہیں کبھی مشکلات آتی ہیں پھر چلی جاتی ہیں پھر اچھے دن آتے ہیں پھر مشکلات آتی ہیں پھر چلی جاتی ہیں لیکن مشکلات آتی ہیں جانے کے لیے Of course, one should have always a positive outlook towards life. Beautiful. Thank you so much for your time. This was really inspiring and I hope we can continue this further. And if um, circumstances permitted, maybe we can sit together and have a circle on this so others can also learn from your experience. Uh, Anika, so thank you. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to me. Uh, and I'm and i'm thankful to your audience as well for giving their precious time to listen to me uh, most grateful to every one of you the pleasure and honor was all mine stay well khuda hafiz khuda hafiz khuda hafiz take care and you too thank you thank you